who it is. It's me and Leanne, and it's the first day pod. We are still alive. It was definitely a long break, and it wasn't really a break because every week I thought we'd do a show and then I would cancel or like, ah, oh, no, we'll do it next week. Oh, I'll do it next week. Ah, oh, do it next week. I just kept pushing it forward. But now we're here, and we plan to continue to do the show, right, Liam? Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a plan, and that's a start. Today's guest is someone I've met recently through baseball, but uh, much more to the story than just baseball. His name is Michael Smith, and uh, he currently has stage four cancer, pancreatic cancer, and he's here to share his perspective on his life, and he's feeling good today, right, Mike? You feel good right now? Oh, yeah. Like a million bucks. A million bucks. Did you hear that? He said that. That's what Mike just said. Mike, uh, I mean, I, I even feel awkward about saying it because it seems so dramatic, but... I mean, do you get tired of people talking about cancer with you? No, no, there, you know, not a lot of people do talk cancer with me. Um, other really? Than my, other than my immediate family, you know, um, you know, I, I find that most people it's, it's, uh, it's either uncomfortable for them or they're, or they're not sure what to say. And so they, so they avoid it. What's, which is okay. It's, it's, it's better than, <laughs> it's better than hearing some of the things I've, I've said, even though I, I know it's not mean spirited, but you know, people just don't know how to react. So. I guess that makes a lot of sense. I know Leanne, you probably feel this way, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited to have this conversation and I mean, I have questions since if you're open to talking about it um, He's here. and I'm just going to, and I'm going to I'm going to just put out this disclaimer that if I say anything that is offensive, like you just said, like, oh, that doesn't it doesn't seem mean spirited, but it may come across that way. Call me out on it because I have a tendency to use words and things that just I just say what just comes out kind of thing. So please feel free to call me out. You know, by this time, there's there's really nothing I don't think I've heard that that would be offensive. And I've I've learned to. um I've learned to temper my expectations and, and realize where that what people's perspective are when it when it comes to, to dealing with just with anything, you know, someone gets a divorce, someone lose. I mean, people just don't know how to handle loss with other people if they're not experiencing it themselves sometimes. So, so there's, there's nothing you can say that's going to offend me. I can guarantee you that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. I don't know Mike that well, but I do know that he's open to talking because that's why he came on the show. So we could skip the hurdle of wondering if that's the case or not. I do have to think about all all of my years. You know, I'm 42. How old are you, Michael? I'm 56. 56 years old. Uh, is there a party right now that feels jaded or bitter? Because I know I would if I were you. Well, you know, there's the, I forget what it's called. I was going to look it up before I came on here, but you know, there, there's the stages of emotions that people say that they go through. And I think it was initially meant for, um, for, you know, if, if you were going through a divorce or if you lost a parent or someone like that. Um, and I think it's the four or five stages of grief. Um, but you know, th those aren't, and then as, as it's progressed, people have learned that those stages aren't linear and you can just skip some of them altogether and you can bounce back and forth between one or two. And so I, I suppose, you know, I, you know, I can feel, I can feel angry and I can feel bitterness. Um, but when I put it into perspective, um, <clears throat> when I first found out about this, 
Uh, I was diagnosed in November of 2019. Um, And I, I, I told myself, well, you know, the only thing that you're losing is something that's never been guaranteed to you, and that's time. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes the bitterness will come in or the, you know, sadness or angriness, and it's just natural. But if you put things into perspective, then, you know, really nothing's being taken away from me. And all you have to do is watch a children's, uh, a Shriner Children's Hospital commercial, and it kind of puts it all into perspective for you. Yeah, I bet it does. Uh, So you were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It's currently stage four. When did it happen? When did you find out? What was that like? Could you share some insights for people who are maybe dealing with something massive that could help them if they're dealing with like a huge issue in their life that is like death or a crisis so big that they feel everything they have is at stake? Yeah, you know, I think everybody's different. And in the cancer community, we're very careful with not um, with allowing people to to feel what they need to feel and to handle things the way they need to handle it. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's so many different types of cancer and different types of treatment and different types of side effects and different and, and people have different support systems. And so everybody's journey is the same. So the most important thing is just to be respectful of other people's journeys and just to let them let them have it um, because there's no right or wrong way to to do this. But for me, I guess when I found out, you know, um, <clears throat> when they told me I had pancreatic cancer, I had no idea what I was in. I didn't even know how screwed I was. Um, I had, you know, I, I went into the hospital in, in June of 2019 because I had pancreatitis. And in retrospect, it probably was a precursor to, I probably had microscopic disease at that time. Um, and they couldn't find it on the scan or they missed it on the scan. And then six months later, um, I was yellow like a highlighter and I had jaundice and my Billy Rubin was in the 2000s. And so I went to the emergency room and they ran every test that they could on me and said there was a blockage in my pancreas. Um, and I said, well, what could that be? Well, it could be a stone or it could be a tumor. And I was like, oh, well, I'm sure it's a stone. And so I remember they were going to go and they were going to scope me and, and look to see what it was. And I remember I, I asked the RN and I was, as I was going in, I said, so what's the odds? I mean, how many times do these things, you know, you know, do, does it turn out to be a tumor? And she just looked at me. She said, they'll let you know when you get out. And I was like, oh. And there was something about the way she said it and looked at me. And I was like, oh, okay. So then yeah. I go out and the doctor says, you got pancreatic cancer. Like I said, I had to look up on my phone. And then I found out how screwed I was. And so then I didn't sleep much that night. And then, you know, kind of the human survival kick, I get like, everybody's different. But for me, I just was, I was like, okay, well, my first thought was, you know, a year from now, am I going to be here? And, and, you know, what's it going to be like to die from this? You know, is it going to be painful? Is it going to be, what's it going to be like, you know? And then, you know, I just received more news and as it progressed or whatever, I mean, it's a long, long story, but, um, that was my initial reaction to it. You mentioned to me before we went on the air here, and this is the first day pod. We're live here with Michael Smith, who's sharing openly and honestly with us, which is awesome, uh, that you had some addiction history. Does this have anything to do with addiction? The cancer? Yeah. Well, it's her- well there's nothing hereditary. I've done two... Um, I did a Foundation One testing, DNA testing. I also did a... Um, DNA testing with Huntsman's Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City. There's nothing hereditary in me. I was actually said, well, it's just 
I think she said you just had bad luck. Um, you know, and I, I don't suppose that drinking, I don't suppose that drinking a lot is probably good for anybody in any, in any, in any, um, instance. Um, I've never heard anything about alcohol being linked to cancer. I've heard fatty diets being linked to some type of cancer, but I've, uh, as far as my limited medical knowledge i you know i don't think i mean i don't think it would help you know you know maybe the pancreatitis was partially because i was drinking too much but i don't think it caused my cancer do you did you drink that much is i mean were you just well constantly drinking well i was so i can so to me if you're to me to be an alcoholic uh, all it requires is that alcohol becomes problematic in your life and you could drink once a week for, you could drink once a week and go off and cheat on your wife and blow all your money and the other 28 days you don't do anything, but that becomes problematic. So if drinking becomes problematic, to me, that makes you an alcoholic. Um, and I felt that my drinking was problematic. And so when I got out of the hospital, um, in June of 2019, I decided I was going to quit drinking. I started going to AA. I went online um, to started, I think, Talk Sober was an online um, group I went to. And there was another gal, um, I forget her name. But anyways, so then unfortunately, that's one of the things when I, that's one of the things I'm most bitter about is that I really enjoyed fighting being sober. I really enjoyed the battle of it. Um. And it was taken away from me because it was replaced with a with a different, bigger battle. Um, and I think about that all the time because I really, really miss those six months when I was trying to be sober. Oh, that's interesting. Go ahead, Mike. You have something else? No, I'm waiting for you to chime in now. You get to speak. Come on. Okay, so. You're not crying. That's I want, good. No, I'm not. So, yes. So, Michael, when when Mike told me that we were going to be um, having a conversation with you, I'm very um, we're learning about empathy and being empathetic. And I'm learning that I'm not empathetic, um, but I or I'm not an empath, but I, I do feel that way. So I thought coming on this show, I was just going to be like heartbroken for you. Um, but the way you started this saying, you know what, nothing was taken from me then that everybody else has that we don't know what tomorrow looks like. That's a really, really great way of looking at it. Like, I feel very excited to have this conversation with you because that, that sounds really, who knows, you know, Mike and I could leave this earth before you do. Mm -hmm. None of us know that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. So when you're saying that you're upset or you're bitter that you don't have that, can you just talk a little bit more about that? About the sobriety thing? Yeah. Well, it was just, it was, it was the last time I really, it was the last time that I was healthy and had joy in living because be, um, the fight for sobriety was a, was a joy to me. I mean, it, it wasn't easy. It's obviously, it's difficult, but I saw progress in my finances and my health in just all parts of my life. And it was, I was trying to do something positive and I was really enjoying it. And that was the last time that um, I was fully functional in all of those ways to be able to do that. And I sort of feel like 
I also feel like, well, gee, if I hadn't gotten cancer, would I, would I be sober now? And maybe I wouldn't. And so, you know, I, I've still been sober. I think this, this, uh, this June will be four years, but I really don't put that much stock into it because I'm like, yeah, who cares? I mean, who, I mean, some people I know, I, so I've been, I've been in treatment centers for a long time now and I hear people talk and some people drink and some people don't. And, um, so if I wanted to drink, I could drink actually one. So if you just let me back up for a second. So when, when I, when I, when I was diagnosed in 2019, I had four months of chemotherapy. And so what happens like two days later, after I was like diagnosed, my oncologist came in and he said, you know what, you got localized disease. He goes, there's this thing called a Whipple procedure. Sometimes it saves people's lives. Um, he says, I think you would be a good candidate for that. And so the way my mind works, I was like, okay, that's what we're doing now. We're going to do four months of chemo. We're going to do the Whipple. We're going to do two months of, of follow-up chemo. And then I'm going to be good. And so I just put, I put death and everything else out of my mind. I'm like, this is the plan. And this, I'm going to concentrate on nothing but this. And so we did that. And then I was 11 months, um, no evidence of disease. I was cancer free for 11 months. And at the time, the hospital up here um, went into the oncology department, locked the oncologist out of his computer, fired him. And the, ca the case is currently in Montana Supreme Court right now. Um, and so I had four or five traveling oncologists during that time. Um, and so my level of care started to go down. And I mean, there's so much I could talk about this, but that I just I just have to say that's one really super important thing is that no matter what it if it doesn't matter what your health care situation is, you have to be you have to be vigilant and advocate for yourself, be an advocate for yourself. Otherwise, you will get thrown under the bus at some point because it's like there's good garbage pickup guys and there's bad garbage pickup guys that destroy your can. It's the same thing with with the, with doctors. So anyways, I was no, I, I, I didn't have disease for 11 months. The hospital, the current oncologist said, you might very well be cured. And I was like, I was like, there was no doubt in my mind. I was like, I'm almost a year and being a year cancer free um, with just with this disease is significant. Um, but as it turned out, they misread my scan and they missed this they missed the tumor that had metastasized into my liver but i had always had my backup scan sent to the surgeon who did the whipple procedure and he says i don't think your scan is good and so he sent it back to the hospital and the the oncologist took my case to the tumor board and he literally he had to show the radiologist see that's that's where it's at and he's like, well, I don't see it. He goes, well, no. He says, this is where it's at. He's like, oh, I do see that. He goes, well, I don't know if I can biopsy that. That's not in a that's not in a place where it normally comes back. And my surgeon said, well, if he can't do it, I got somebody here that can do it. So, anyways, they biopsied it and found out that it, that it was um, that I had cancer in my liver. So at that point, that was probably the most disappointing thing because. Well, because I, you know, I, I thought I thought that I was good. When you talk about having the wind taken out of your sails, um, that probably was. A, a, I can't think of a more better example than thinking, "Well, shit, I'm going to die." Oh no, I'm not going to die. Oh yeah, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. That's brutal. I can't imagine. I, I, I'd be so yeah. That'd be really hard for me to get over. I mean, how can you genuinely get past that? Well, it's just, you know, it's just kind of my whole mind frame about this thing that, you know, um, I mean, you just have to do it. I mean, you can either 
you can sit around and do nothing. I mean, I could do I could do a million different things. Yeah. And I, and I choose, wallowing. Yeah, and I, I choose just to. Even when I don't feel good, I choose. I mean, there's there are some legitimately some days where I'm just completely where I just can't do anything. But there's there's not many of them. Most of the days I feel like shit. But most of the days, I, I still get up and I still um, I help my parent. I, I have an elderly parent that I help. I work. Um, I bowl. I golf. I you know I I yeah. live by myself, and so you know I'm I'm chief cook and bottle washer. So you know I just don't sit around, and I think it's really important just to get just to keep the body moving for health. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We talked about doing things like bowling, golf. You said you're looking forward to golf season. And I was like, wow, this guy, this guy's impressive that he's put himself in the mindset here that, you know, did you ever have the fear? Did you live with the fear before this ever happened of death? I mean, what was your approach to death before you ever became a cancer patient? <laughs> You know, it's funny because the guy that I worked with, I was, I was so, I was so afraid of disease. And like when, when there was that Ebola outbreak, that people yeah. in the office were making fun of me because I was such a hypochondriac about medical related diseases and disasters. I, I freaked oh. out just to get my blood drawn to have a needle poked in my arm. It freaked me out. Oh. And now, wow. and now I'm not so freaked out anymore because I've. I've had a lot of different things done to me. How about that, Leanne? Yeah, Leanne uh, sometimes thinks she's a hypochondriac. So. Yeah, I'm not sure if I am. I she's feel not, like, yeah. You're not. But you Okay, but you do I worry. have tendencies. I do have tendencies. So I'm starting to get better. It's one of those things like I feel like I've gotten and Mike can attack, like Mike can tell you if I'm lying or not, because maybe it I'm not actually like this, but I feel like since the pandemic, I'm actually better with it than I was prior to the pandemic. And then through the pandemic, I was a mess. And then after it, now I just feel like, I don't know, I'm a lot better with it. But it used to be like, if you came into the room, if we were doing this podcast in the room and you started like sniffling, I'd be like, oh, great. Now I'm going to be sick. Okay. So now I'm going to definitely be, so I always felt that way. But now that we've gotten COVID, we've done all of that. Now I'm just like, okay, well, it is what it is. You kind of get a different mindset. But when Mike was saying, so you were afraid of illness, did you have, what did you think about like death? Mike has a, um, not a great relationship with, with <laughs> the future of death. What? So, so <laughs> did you, did you even think about it? Did you, were you worried about it? No, I, I guess I thought about it. No, I, it wasn't. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, everybody thinks about it, um, but. I thought about it, but I didn't think about it. And even now I really don't think about it, to be honest with you. It's just something that doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't occasionally, you know, there are times where I get this immense fear. I'm like, you know, what's it going to, because I, I know exactly what's, I know what it's going to be like to die from this disease. And so I know what it's going to be like. Yeah. Um, but at times I would get this immense fear and then somehow I was able to, within 30 seconds completely shut it off and just go on to something else and i think it's just, i think it's just a survival skill everybody has different survival skills to block things out and somehow i'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to block that out awesome. wow it's just that simple huh you make it sound simple you really do well i think it's just a, I, I don't think it's anything that 
I think I'm just lucky. I think everybody has their mind. Everybody's mind works in different directions. And, 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 and I'm just blessed that my mind works in that direction. Otherwise I could be sitting here just scared shitless all the time, but I'm right. Not. But you've, you've actively tried to get yourself in this state too, right? I mean, it's not like it just happened overnight. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's been a long process over the last three and a half years. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, you just gain a completely different and you have to, I mean, I mean, I guess you don't have to, but I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to survive and be happy or be happy while you're still surviving, um, you have to do some certain, you have to do some mental gymnastics. And I feel like that's, I mean, you've been showing that even when you were going through six months sobriety here and sobriety there, it's the same kind of mindset that you have to get into that I have to do it differently. Cause there's a lot of people that just, they drink and they know that they're never going to be able to get out of it. I tried it before. I'll never be able to do it again. So that mental thing is, I think, yes, you can build it. Absolutely. But I think it, we're also kind of predisposed, um, what is the word? Predisposed. 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 Um, to feeling that way a little bit more. My mom, she, cause I got to starting, I'm, I've been thinking about it a little bit since I knew that you were coming on the show. Um, my mom, I mean, she's, she's fine health wise, but she's going to be turning 75. And so now she's starting to look at it that I have more years behind me than I have in front of me. Absolutely. So like, there's just, she's not going to have another 75 years on this planet. And so I see her that some days are worse than others. Some days she'll really be thinking about it. And then other, most days she doesn't think about it. And I think that that's been interesting to watch. And I was kind of thinking about that with you because it's potentially the same type of feeling, Mm -hmm. you know? But still that first thing, Michael, I just got to thank you for saying that because we've heard it before, like live today and, and, you know, you saying it really hit home with me that like none of us know what our future holds. Mm -hmm. So I do have another question. So when you were, so you've gone through and you had the year where you were thought that you were doing well, you said that you went and you gave the results to your other doctor, the one that did the whip, the Whipple Mm -hmm. did, was that because you did it or was that like just a, did they request it because they did the, the procedure? No, I I would be dead if it wasn't, I would be dead by now if it wasn't for me. I've had to constantly advocate for myself. And for some reason I had every single scan. I've had every single scan I've ever had since, since the Dr. Weiner up here got fired, sent to my, um, sent to the other doctor who did my Whipple procedure, every single one. And I, I initially didn't do it out of mistrust. I just did it because I was like, you know, I knew he would do it. And so why not have a backup? And so I just did it just to do it. And now I go, now I, now I travel 90, I, I don't even do, I don't do my treatment here in town. Um, I travel, I, I go to treatment tomorrow and I travel an hour and a half out of town uh, just another long story I won't tell you because I know we only have a half hour, but it was another reason why, you know, I advocate for myself and I'm like, well, I need to take my treatment elsewhere, even though, you know, during the winter up here, you know, traveling an hour and a half through and it's through, you know, this is Montana. I live in Montana. I live in Helena, Montana. And so I drive to Great Falls. And so there's a there's a 
big, gnarly, nasty pass between um, between the two cities. And so, but it's anyways, you, you have to, and I know there's some, and I've had people, I've had other medical, I've had oncologists, I had my surgeon tell me, you know, my surgeon said, you, you've exceeded all my expectations, including navigating the medical system. Wow. What's my, what's, I'm very proud of. I, you should be. I'm proud of you. And I'm glad that you're bringing that up to all of our listeners, because I think that's one of the biggest things in Crohn's, like my sister's got Crohn's. So I'm part of kind of that community. And that's one of the things that we tell people all the time, because they're misdiagnosed for the first at least seven years because of the system, because they just don't know. And these doctors think that they know everything. And if you don't, yeah, advocate for yourself. Let me tell you this one more quick story about advocating. Please. I'll, I'll make it quick. So Please. at the time I was doing, I was, when I, when I came back and I, my, when my cancer came back, I started on the same treatment I was before. And then I had an anaphylactic reaction to this drug called oxyplatin. So they had to stop and they put me on another treatment with, which was gemcitabine and abraxine. Well, that didn't last very long because I kept ending up in, in, in the hospital with fevers. Um, like 104, 105, I'd have to, they'd put ice packs on me. They'd say, is your mom still your next to kin? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. What? Jeez. And, and so my oncologist at the time was also the floor oncologist um, at the hospital. And she would come into my room. She says, well, you have a nice view. And she's going to let me, let me listen to you. And she's, and she would walk out the door. So long story short, she said, these are your options. You can continue the same treatment and continue going to the hospital and get fevers, or you can try, she said, you can try this immunotherapy. She didn't even name it by name. You can try this immunotherapy, handed me a stack of papers and said, you're a smart guy. You can, you can go on the internet, look this, look at this, and then we'll talk about it the next time we speak to each other. Didn't even, it turns out it's Katruda, the thing that's on TV all the time, which is very effective it's very effective with a lot of cancers, but it, it has shown zero effectiveness with pancreatic cancer. So those are my two options. And so I looked this up and I was like, I just don't, I don't know what to do. And so the hospital I'm in is affiliated with Huntsman Cancer Institute. So I called Huntsman. I said, I'd like to talk to somebody there. So I had a video call with one of their doctors. And then I started calling around to other oncologists. And so I went to Great Falls. I found this oncologist and, and the hospital that oncologist who was not affiliated with Huntsman, she said, you know what, I deal with all kinds of cancers, but I'm not an expert in pancreatic cancer. So I'm going to call the guy at Huntsman. I'm going to call your surgeon. I have an idea for a plan, but if they have a different plan, I might go with that. And I came back and she said, well, they have a di they had a different plan than I did. And I think I'd like to go with that plan. I've been with her ever since. Again, the second time, if I would have stayed there, I would have either ended up in the hospital and probably dying from some chemo related fever, or I would have been on Katruda and probably would have been completely ineffective and I would be dead now. But instead, I had to call around. So again, and I've been told there's a lot of people that will just take everything that they're told as, just by the word and, and they don't, and sometimes it just, it, it's, it lessens their, their life. I'm sorry to be so wordy, but I, I just think it's really no. important. People are going to listen and, 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 you have to advocate for yourself because otherwise they, I, I hate to say that they could kill you, but, but they could, if you don't take if you don't look out for yourself. Yeah. You just proved it. I mean, you just, you literally know 
what you're talking about because you've lived it. That's bonkers, man. It doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, hey, suddenly all the comments have finally shown up. Oh, my gosh. We, I, some reason, I couldn't see the comments the whole show. So let me get some of these in. Josh is here. He says, tomorrow is never promised. That's right, Josh, of course. Anthony says, my mom beat breast cancer twice. Good for you, Anthony. I didn't know that about you, actually. I know him through baseball as well. Josh says, make the best of the time we have. Well, easier said than done sometimes, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Josh says, I had a friend of mine that had lung cancer. He beat it once and then was two years cancer-free. He passed from inoperable stage four lung, though. It seems to come back when you least accept it. That's too bad. And uh, he also says, it's just acceptance of the circumstances. And Anthony says, living with stage four, do you grow closer religiously and spiritually, Michael? That's what Anthony's curious about. Um, you know, actually, I've, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but I think I've grown further apart religiously. Spiritually, I probably have, have a, you know, a, a deeper sense of spirituality just with, with myself and, and thinking about the afterlife and, you know, what, what it would be, I guess, what it would be like, which we don't know what it's going to be like. But as far, you know, I, I've had people in my family say, well, their way of dealing with this, well, we're just going to let God handle it. And then they say, like well, the end. and they're like, well, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray that I'm going to pray that your cancer goes away. And I, and I said, well, if you're going to let God handle it, if you're going to have complete faith in God, then you need, I, I tell them, I say, please pray that no matter what happens, that I can deal with it. Don't pray for an outcome for, for me because I can deal with the outcome or I, I can deal. It's like radical acceptance. So that, that Josh, is that your dad or Josh Govier? Uh, that's my brother, actually. Yeah, your, your brother. So when you talked mm -hmm. about acceptance, there's a principle called radical acceptance radical acceptance real quickly. And it's basically, you know, you can accept when you accept things, you don't have to be like, oh, yeah, that's the way it is screwed. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just basically there's pain and there's suffering. So when you get passed up for a promotion or you lose a spouse or you get cancer, you just have to accept you accept that circumstance and you can't avoid that pain, but you can avoid the suffering that you allow yourself to endure because of that pain. And so when when he mentioned the word acceptance, that's that's a big thing that I try to practice is radical acceptance, because it, it allow just everything in life. It allows you to to move on and realize that, yeah, shitty things happen. But how bad this is going to affect me and hurt me is completely up to me. It's coming right from his mouth, folks. Michael Smith, he's got stage four pancreatic cancer and he's talking like it's not even there. Like I. I don't know you that well, other than our recent connection, Michael. We've got to know each other through baseball, but it certainly seems real to me. It seems like you have a a real solid appreciation of your circumstances and your perspective and your point of view right now. And I, I got to tell you, I've been thinking about doing this interview because we're going to do it last week, and then I got pushed to this week. And uh, everything I've done over the last few days, I think about oh. Mike's got stage four cancer. I mean, I can do, I can do this. It's, I, I keep using it as like a perspective point for me to get through things I'm trying to do during the day, which sounds really silly, but it has, it has helped me. It's motivated me to like, oh, I can't complain about this. I mean, look what Mike's going through. It, it does help. Well, you can't. Well, we all do. We all do that because Michael did it in the very beginning talking about St. Jude's. 
Well, and you, go ahead, Michael. And, and you can and you can forget about it because it's it's only natural. I mean, if, if, if I wasn't in my situation, I would be disliking you. But it's only natural to just not think about those things until they happen. But again, I think the most important thing is, again, you know, you you can't avoid the pain, but you can you can decide how much suffering you're going to have from it. I mean, I just think that's so important in every aspect of life. Yeah, that's the key there. You, you're making decisions that you didn't just come to. You thought about them and you molded over and you have concluded that this is the best way forward for yourself. And I think that's something everybody could take away from this today, whether you watch this or you're listening to it later in the podcast form. I, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to say that <laughs> my... This half-hour conversation with Michael Smith has changed my life. And, oh, my God, I have such a greater awareness of the world before me now. I've figured it out. No, I'm not going to say that. but I will. Oh, yeah? No, of course you would. Well, she loves declarations like that. That's why I love her. Josh says, I had triple bypass. And before I went under the knife, I accepted the circumstances and knew there were only two outcomes. I wasn't afraid. I just knew what was ahead of me. Yeah, that's a perfect that's a perfect example of radical acceptance. That makes all the sense of the world. I, you know, I've heard about radical acceptance, and I assumed I understood what it meant, but I haven't thought about it in a while. That's something I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into. I just nobody knows the answers to what happens once once we're dead. Uh, the worst fear for me is just that we're dead. That's it. It's you never get. I'll never get to see you again. I'll never get to see either one of you again. I'll never get to talk to you any one of you ever again and that fear is what really bums me out it's not the fact of dying it's the wow well that's it never gonna see you ever again and that really sticks with me especially when it's dark and like late at night and i'm walking around by myself in the house i'm like oh my god this terrible the feeling that you mentioned michael like washes over me a, a massive fear that is palpable and really uncomfortable it's just i guess i just have to accept Christ or something before I die. That's, I'm going to have to do that just so I can live the rest of my life. All right, I just believe now, and yes, that's what's going to happen, and I accept it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to say that every day, even if it's not true. Well, I think I think you're misunderstanding just a tiny bit because, I mean, you can – accepting it doesn't mean there's nothing I can do. Accepting it just means that you just accept the reality that it happened because some people are like, well, that they just fight it. They're like, well, no, this – this can't, this can't be happening to me. So they, so they fight it and they, and they make themselves angry and they make themselves miserable and they can make other people angry. But that pain, again, that pain is never going to go away. You can't make the pain go away, but you can limit how much suffering you get from that pain. And that's completely up to you, but it doesn't mean that you give up. It doesn't mean you try to, it doesn't mean you don't try to change the circumstance. It doesn't mean you don't try to make it better. Yeah. It just makes it like, this is, I, I, uh, I stubbed my toe. How long do I want to be mad that I stub my toe? That's up to you. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with everybody before we go here? Was there anything you didn't say that you wanted to say, Michael? Right. <laughs> no, I will. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing. No, you're laughing. Come on. Like, one more thing. One more for the road. I, I, I would say that the, the one thing that if, that you don't want to say to somebody is, well, we're all going to die someday. Mm. Because I remember I've had people say, well, we're all going to die someday. And I'm like, well, do you want to change my hourglasses? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know we're all going to die someday, but I mean, who's, you know, 
would you rather be me or I just just that's just a that's just not a very cogent thing to say to somebody. No, it's empty. It's just a a cliche. It offers no value. It doesn't provide you any comfort or understanding. It's just blah. It's worthless. Yeah, and I like I said, I've literally had so many people say, "Well, we're all going to die someday, right?" Really? Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. I had an eighty-five-year-old guy in the golf course say that to me. I said, "Well, you're <laughs> you're eighty-five. You're going to go home, watch Fox News, get pissed off, have a sandwich, and take a nap." You know, I I, <laughs> I, I got a, you know, I, I got big boy shit to do. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. Great sense of humor, Mike. I appreciate that. Leanne, what'd you think? Was this useful for you or waste time? I would love you. Well, I would love for you to come back on if you would want to. And I just keep thinking I want you to be part of our book club because oh, yeah. I love your perspective on all of this. You've been in a book club, Mike? So- I've never been in a book club. What's a book? So right now it's Atlas of the Heart. Um, oh. So it's it's all about like the emotions that we feel. And then it's all these definitions, but like us thinking about how we use certain words because a lot of us use words improperly um so it's kind of just and the best part of the book club is the book club meetings so we we all read on our own then we come back for the few chapters that we read and we discuss it and there's always people that agree don't agree neutral and it's just conversation within it Mm -hmm. um so it's very interesting um actually one of the books that was suggested i'm really glad that we had this conversation because A couple of years ago when we started this, Jenny, Mike, um, Jenny suggested a book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock or something. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's around that whole premise. um, And we never ended up reading it. So we're voting on or nominating books to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm going to nominate that book because I think that's going to be really important for us. And I should ask you, do you do any reading? Like, do you have a book that you would suggest? Well, I'm, I'm reading John Meacham's uh, book on Lincoln, Lincoln's life. Oh. I read boring historical stuff. Um, I'm also reading a book called 1924, which goes, or excuse me, 1934, which goes from the year 1934 from January to December and explains all the major events that happened that month and how they're tied together and how they have historical important importance to today. So I read a lot of boring historical stuff. I, I, I watched the uh, Ruku great courses on TV and I listened to some lady stand there and talk about fifth century England. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of boring sometimes. So, <laughs> well, this is not a, you, by the way, you didn't mention Leanne, you were trying to talk about this book club. You didn't mention anything about how people could be involved in it or where it is. Oh yeah. So it's on zoom. It's Monday nights, eight to nine Eastern time. Okay. Um, and it's, we start on time, we end on time and everybody gets a chance to talk. Um, if you don't want to talk that day, you don't have to, I'm, I'm going to ask you, but you can say, no, I'm not ready. And, um, and now we're starting a new thing that everybody does like a little win from their week. Um, and that's how we kind of start it. Um, I would seriously, like if you're interested at all, I would love for you to be a part of it if you want. Um, but again, you don't have to. It's not for everybody. Well, no, I, I appreciate it. I, I, I give it a shot. I'm kind of spotty as far as, you know, what my schedule is at, at, at times. But I, I would, no, I'd be, yeah, I'd be, I've never done it. So I'd be interested in it. Anybody yeah. can do yeah, it. Yeah, we've, we do. And you know what? We've got people that are like kind of our, our core people that come every week. And it's like, it's almost like just a community at this point. Um, but then we have people that hop in and hop out and 
you will see them once a month or once every two months. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, we're just always there. So I'll send you the information. Yeah. And did Anthony say that she he was asking yeah. about it? He's interested in the book club. That's why everybody who's listening or watching, if you're interested, you can email the show. Firstdaypod at gmail.com. And we'll send you the link, the Zoom link. All you got to do is reach out, and then we give you the Zoom link. It's not universally available, but it's freely available to everybody who tries just one iota. That's all it takes. Well, I appreciate and, uh, it, Tyler. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. If you want to do it, you, yeah, like I said, you guys can show up or not. Nobody cares. The one thing that is so stringent to this day, and Leanne does a great job of it, is just keeping it on time. It truly is one hour. She cuts it off at nine, and that's it. <laughs> So there's no like, oh my God, it's going to go on forever. She's very good about time. And we're trying to be good about time. So that's going to be all for today's episode of the First Day Podcast. It's been a while, but we couldn't think of a better guest to have. Bring us back into the fold after our long delay. And we're going to be trying to be committed here and consistent going forward. We're, we're always trying to do the best we can. We're screwing up all the time, left and right. But our intentions are always pure they really are and if michael if you want to come back another time we'd love to have you come back and we can talk more sure i yeah if you'd like to have me i'd, I'd be happy to come back you, you guys do a great job look anthony says michael smith is awesome look at that so you got a new fan michael all right <laughs> <laughs> well we thank michael smith for joining us we wish you well and everybody thank you so much for watching and listening and we'll catch you guys next time on the first day pod